always lovely on a beautiful spring afternoon to be um, indoors. And I did apologise to these guys because I know they'd rather be out. But um, thank you very much for enabling us to come today. Um, if I could introduce, please, on the left, I have Panya. Panya Ukthan is from Cambodia. Um, and he is one of the Chevening Scholars that are part of our programs. If any of you are not familiar, that's our government support for uh, master students. Is it undergraduates? Just masters. Just master students who are anticipated to be able to make an influence back in their own countries having followed a master's program. Then we have Laura, Laura Montonen, is, is that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Laura is from Finland, um, so she and Panya have interesting debates about inside-outside living cultures, because obviously Finland is more inside, and from what I gather, because I haven't been there yet, but that's my next list is Cambodia. Um, Cambodia is an outside culture, yeah. And then we have Annabelle, Annabelle Medaros, Thank you, because that's the bit I, I never get right. Annabelle is also a Chevening scholar, and she is from Cuba. Um, and she was interviewed on Cuban television when Barack Obama was there recently. So um, these guys are on a master's program in business innovation and creative entrepreneurship. The others wanted to come too, I have to say that, didn't they? So you're going to see them in a little while. So I just thought I'd, uh, they're, they're, we're going to do a sandwich because um, our, they're busy and what I've asked them to do this afternoon is to recreate some of the things that we do in the work that I do with the Masters Programme so you can get an idea of how they uh, respond to the tasks that I set them. So I'll set the scene first of all. I work in the business and law school at London Met, which is today, I think, just about to lose 25% more of its staff. So it's one of those environments, okay? I have been there just over four years. I'm not a business practitioner. I don't know a whole lot about business. I know more about the five P's of marketing than I knew four years ago and those, those sorts of things. My background is quite eclectic, and I'm, I'm saying this because I think it's important. Please take the photos of Ben, not me. I started out in secondary education as a biologist. In the 80s, environmental education was very popular, and so I spent a number of years out in the field digging and running field courses and so on. And when my daughters were small, I went to work in EFI, first of all, because um, childcare law has changed, you know, and that sector has got a very different provision than it had in the 80s now, so people are able to um, get registered childcare, etc. I was part of the um, um, revolutionary qualifications in that sector. And I could only do what I could do it within driving distance of home and getting to and from school. So I've worked in FE, I've worked in primary education, that was fantastic. I've worked in um, college-based higher education, but I used to run a department in childhood studies. And somehow now, this morning, my new dean, because the five senior members of the faculty 
Um, well, let's put it this way, it's a bit of a dead parrot sketch with them nowadays. Um, ask me, Hazel, can you please rewrite the MBA? And I had to smile, because how can you come from teaching five-year-olds <laughs> to devising an MBA? Well, you know, there's quite a lot in it. So I came to the university um, four years ago to work in a business school, originally to be involved in action research and work-based learning, which as an educationalist, that's my business. So it wasn't any strangers to me. And I work on the DBA, I've times worked on an MA in management and leadership, I've worked on MBA, DMS, etc. But I don't teach business, I teach leadership and development, research and so on. Um, so that's my background and I think part of the reason why I do the work that I do is, I'm, it's, it sounds, I hope it's not old-fashioned, but I'm 100% committed to the potential of education. That's why I'm in this business. Um, my own daughters now are graduates and struggling to get a foothold in their careers. And for me, working alongside our students in order to enable their progress is what I'm for. It's not a hands-off process. It's about getting to know people so that it, and trying to join together their identities so that they can make the most of their futures and to have an impact, which is why I chose the fridge magnets, actually, because they sit on my fridge and we like to think that, you know, we're trying to do this, something that joins together. So, part of what I'm saying this afternoon is an invitation, because when Martin and I spoke about coming to do this session, I did not know if I would have a job. Um, we were told in the autumn that all of our postgraduate management courses were closing. Well, we weren't told, actually. We just got an email to say what was running. Um, it's, been a, it's been a long story, which was a bit of a surprise to these guys as well, wouldn't they? They found out that the courses that they've invested in don't, won't exist anymore. But they are going to now because we've got a different story coming on. We'll talk about that later, Penny. Okay? Um, but I didn't know if I had a job. I, you know, we, we, we have 108s coming out all the time now. But now I know I have got some security for another six months, perhaps. Um, what I was going to do is say, this work and these con concepts that we've been using, now I've been using amongst the postgrads that I work with, I think are very valuable. I'm in the process of a, a publication, but I was going to say if I was, you know, receiving my brown envelope to invite others to take this baton on and use some of the concepts, the ideas and so on in their own work. One of the interesting things about being last is that you pick up on all the ideas that people have taken along the way. Now, Shell and I were together in January, was it, at a UKCGE event, and we realised that she was talking macro and I was talking micro, but about the same thing, which is, it's higher education, it's postgrad. what are we doing? What are we trying to achieve? Are we doing the right thing? Um, and is it really looking to the future, or are we just recreating the past? And we've, we've talked about identity, and that's going to come up again in a minute. We've talked about learning spaces and creating conversations. And actually, at the end here, it all comes together. Now, I don't know what your learning spaces are like. I mean, ours at Moorgate 
is a difficult building to work in because everyone's away from each other. We used to have a nice postgraduate <coughs> lounge, but it, it, it isn't a postgraduate lounge anymore. We did accommodate it on Monday mornings for our breakfast meetings. But we're all corralled now in offices of 40 people, which isn't, isn't very conducive to those conversations. So you have to find them, if that's what you're about. So that's kind of the background. So um, in my, my presentation will contain lots of photographs, which is why I wouldn't send to Francois. If anyone wants to, to you know, copy the presentation, they can do it off, off here later. But it's, now we've got it, it'll be on the website. So there's going to be photographs on here of postgraduate management students having fun. Okay. <laughs> so this is a group from a couple of years ago who were doing the Battersea Park Santa Run um, as part of the coursework that they had devised for themselves. So Peter was talking about that. This is something they decided to do as part of something else. They come, and I have to say our students come from all over the world. And the postgrads tend to be, tend to be 24, 25 to 35, that sort of range. And I'm not talking about the executives who pay 40 grand for an MBA or something. We don't have those. They don't come to London Met. Okay, they go to Ashridge or somewhere else. But actually, the people at Ashridge, because I presented this as a bit of it at SRHE 2014, invited me to go and talk to them because it's what they like as well. Everyone's given permission for their photos to be up here, so I think that's important to say. Okay, so um, the history of what I'm going to talk about is that in, gosh, 2012, somewhere like that, 2013, I was asked to teach on a new MBA that had come in with a new dean, um, two modules on leadership skills and management skills on an MBA course. Now, I have a problem with that because I have a, a, a terrible problem with the word skills and, and also with employability. Um, I, they don't sit comfortably with me because I've worked in the learning and skills sector and in, in FE. And what you find, you know, in FE, when, when students are learning to be hairdressers, childcare workers, graphic designers or whatever, it's not about just learning a set of skills. It's about developing, developing themselves as confident enough to actually go and use them. Peter talked about dentistry. Have we all sat there with a hairdresser, you know, with the scissors and thinking what's going to happen? So it's about, it's about confidence. So um, at that particular time, the university had had its tier four license withdrawn because someone hadn't filled in the paperwork or something I don't know. And, and I had a small cohort, this is some of them, um, who I was asked to do these two modules with. And in fact, actually, I combine them. I don't think of them as skills because they're about practicing and so on. And it's the first time I'd really worked close up with overseas students with great diversity because Hertfordshire, where I come from, doesn't have that sort of diversity so much. And also in the School of Education, 
does you still don't tend to have uh, the, the, the multiple backgrounds of the students. So, for example, one of the students on the screen is from Austria. Okay, I didn't know that there was a large Vietnamese population in Austria, and it was and it was when we work with our students, they have real multiple backgrounds that you can't uh, predict where they come from simply by name, for example. You, uh, a lot, one last year, living in Holland, came from Venezuela, um, can't remember the rest of it. But this diversity is really important to recognise because it means that every single student coming to do whatever we do together conceptualises it differently. Whether it's an assessment, a presentation, doing group work, um, sitting in a lecture, a piece of whatever, they're going to their previous experience needs to be taken into account, and that's that's part of my background. So, rather, for me, rather than wanting to develop their leadership skills, and um, and um, I had recently read some documentation from another university said that they were going to develop the skills associated with empathy. And I found that a bit, a bit of a challenge, that one. It was written in a business school. And, like, you know, and having worked in a business school now, I find it a parallel universe. And um, so many of my colleagues conceptualise the world in a completely different way to what I've ever seen it before. And it's very narrow and very students are over there. And um, I do this and deliver it to them. They get it and write an exam and so on. Anyway, um, so I wanted to work more with the idea that um, my role in this, this particular time was to develop the postgraduate's potential. And uh, the background for this, from my thinking, is that postgraduates are wanting to enhance their careers and their lives. That is very clear out of the large quantitative study, that they've made a positive choice to make an improvement. But similarly, they are likely to be influential. That is going to be where they will desire to be, choose to be, in 5, 10, 15 years' time after they have done their courses. What I've learned about an MBA is that everyone within a university has got a pick on it, a take on it, and thinks they know what it's for. And that students often come thinking they're going to get one and then it's going to make them absolutely brilliant and they're going to learn lo earn loads of money. Well, we know that isn't the case. Um, and I, I also want to say that our postgrads are not just going to be influential in their jobs. We anticipate that these people may well want to be influential in their communities, with their children's schools, in their religious celebrations, in, um, going from continent to continent and be influential. And that is very different to becoming just employable. So it's a, it's a wider concept. And I've also said here that the development of postgraduate potential involves relationships, the context that students are in, action and reflection on what is going on, and it's often a difficult process. And we, we don't talk about this enough. It's one of those hands-off things. That learning hurts. And we know that, that, that you, know, you avoid certain times because there's too much of a workload and so on. 
But if, this, if we want the students to, to get these difficult concepts and the ability to influence future, the future in whatever way, in their professions, in their wider lives, then it involves something that is unsettling. Um, and it needs support along the way. And, as, and for those of you that are familiar with Marcus Aeneas, it's exploring future possible selves. The person that you might become, um, given the opportunities and so on. So that, that was how I, at the end of, uh, well, at the beginning of 2012, started to conceive of, of the work that I was trying to achieve. Um, and I say I, because at this time, and I probably think it is, around the, uni around the faculty, it's called What Hazel Does, um, which <laughs> um, I was thought a bit strange. So um, in, in 2013, the, um, they asked me to take over the MBA at that point to run the full programme. And um, I said to the guys that you've just seen on the picture that I really didn't know much about business, um, but one of them said, it's all right, you care. You will make sure it works. And, and I thought that was a great indictment on ourselves. But it had to be that somebody said that you cared. Because I personally feel that in our profession, that's maybe what we should all be doing. But a bit simple on that way. But I needed to find some... I had no guiding principles of the MBA that had been devised. I was running it, and it was just a set of things that had been taken off the shelf and put together and said, oh, this will do. But I needed to find something to hold everything together. Um, you'll, you'll understand why in a moment. And I took, at that point, Howard Gardner's um, ideas of five, five Minds for the Future, which he published in 2006. And he suggested that um, the minds that we need for the future present now, I suppose, need these five principles which are to be, have a, have a discipline or more than one. In other words, to, to, to be able to become an expert in a number of different fields, but also to be disciplined in keeping up to date and being able to use that knowledge in a way that is worthwhile. He suggested that uh, the mind for the future is synthesising being able to take this from here, this from here, this from here, etc., and make use of it. But it is creative. And we hear creativity banded around our universities all the time. I'm not sure that anyone really knows what it means, so. But importantly for me, that it is ethical and respectful. Um, and those five principles, when looking at something which didn't seem to have any, were, were to me simple enough to be able to shape the way in which the opportunities for our students were constructed and the opportunities for our students to work alongside us as partners in, in their own learning and development. Now I know that we talk about students as partners but what I'm talking about is real life, is working so that you get to know each other. We also have the UN Principles of Responsible Management Education but um, our six principles that basically drive sustain, you know, sustainability, ethics, responsibility, etc. So they're nice and straightforward. And from my own point of view, this photo is taken at Allgate Circus. Um, on the other side of the road is St. Bishop's, which is a 
big, great big church and, and does a lot of work for the homeless and so on. And there you've got the gherkin. Um, many of our students aspire to be in something glass and chrome like that, whatever city it is in the world. But underneath it is the Sir John Cass Primary School and Children's Centre. And what I am trying to aim with the people I work with is that we don't just think of money and so on and progress, that we actually think that of where it fits in life and who, we, who it's for, etc. So, um, I'm very fortunate to be able to work overseas. I also, <laughs> I don't know how this ever happened, <laughs> I, I, we also run master's course in Sri Lanka, so I get to go to Sri Lanka quite frequently. I'm in Nepal, so I go to Kathmandu as well. And for, an for someone who wor has worked in primary education, to sit and look at the Himalayas, um, just to think I'm doing something here to benefit this country is just, just the best, actually. Anyway, with our, um, you will get your go. Um, with our Sri Lankan colleagues, I asked them to do um, some um, activities, the staff team, on what makes a Sri Lankan master's graduate. Because I think when we, we, well, Michelle talked about this, that we're trying to think of what is our master's postgraduate for? And you need to kind of go backwards a bit. So one of the things that they wrote here was transforming imagination into becoming a communicator and a leader. The ability to interact with others, implement ethics um, in work, have an attitude to achieving excellence, unlock opportunities for a bright future, etc. They've got analytical skills and working under pressure. But on the bottom is written, don't just do an MBA, be an MBA. So the whole idea of a process of uh, becoming, having developing an identity, is, was very much part of their work. I did have another one here. Um, don't just stand out from the crowd, lead the crowd, be well-rounded personalities. Um, and, and actually going overseas and talking about this has, has really informed my practice back home because it's a smaller context <coughs> and it's much more focused and the senior staff are, are very much involved with the, the whole program. Okay, so what I, I'm proposing is that for postgraduate employability we use an identity approach. This is, you know, we, we talked about identity with the Bernsteinian perspective. These are complementary, so it, it's ways of doing things. So I'd particularly like to point out this paper here by Daniels and Brooker. I've got the list, so if you want to take it. Because they talk about how talking about employability, graduate skills and, and attributes is one stream of literature. And we're talking about graduate identities and student identities is another stream of literature. And the two don't necessarily talk to each other. And the, that particular paper talks about how we seem to focus on the future without focusing on how we're enabling the students to develop through the process of the programme to become, have, grad, they are graduates, but they're students and they've got identities and they've got work identities, but it's being successful here in order to be successful for the future. I mean, in children's education, particularly young children's education, we talk about if you do what's right for now, the future takes care of itself. 
You don't give a, a five-year-old a nine-year-old's jigsaw puzzle. You, you know, it's, it, so it's, it's about that. So I'm interested in identity, what you internalise as your own identity, what is reflected by the behaviour of others. And about identity formation. Um, students need opportunities to construct their student and professional identities. Without, you know, and the two overlap, but they are distinctive. And Hinchcliffe and Jolly wrote, employability is better approached indirectly through the, the, through the promotion of identity and well-being. In other words, support to acknowledge the difficulties in development that our, particularly our postgrads are experiencing. So this is something that I'm working on at the moment. It, there isn't, there's one little comment on it by Marcia Baxter-Magolda, if anyone's heard of her. She works on Robert Kagan's developmental ideas. Now, Robert Kagan is a, um, a psychologist in the Harvard, uh, at Harvard. He writes about adult development in the same way that Piaget wrote about children's development and how we develop as adults by interpreting our worlds in different ways. And he, he, he says, well, the main aim of higher education should be to develop a self-authoring mind, one that is able to make up its own mind by joining together our knowledge and a belief system with understanding relationships and understanding of self. And this is an integrated process. So if you think about Piaget's stages of child development, Kagan taught, has about five stages of adult development, suggests that most students leaving university have not been enabled to have that integrated process. It's a constructive developmental process. He uses the idea, I mean, we'll come back to this in a moment, well, he uses the idea of Donald Winnicott in that the environments in which this developmental process happens is uh, a combination of support and challenge. So that the difficult process of development and being able to see the world in a more integrated, grounded and mature way is supported um, in that way. Noticeably, it's really similar to Ron Barnett's ideas of becoming a critical being. Um, again, the co for him, the combination of knowledge, reason, self-knowledge, and then acting on it is the core of becoming a critical being. And that, of course, he developed into the idea of a process of becoming. How does higher education change a life? You know, how does it impact on identity? And I think this working out how these work together is probably my job for the next next few years, actually. So, um, carrying on with that, there, I'd like to think, introduce the ideas um, now of I'd, something which we will uh, um, distinguish as identity work and identity play. And I'll come back to identity work in a moment. But while our postgrads are on their courses, they're developing their identities in order to become something more secure, possibly for the future. But they also want to play with ideas, try things out whilst they're on their courses. And the way we construct the pedagogy should enable 
um, a relationship between the two to develop during the process. So identity work here is, uh, is involved with engagement with forming, repairing, maintaining, strengthening and revising identities. Most of our students come in with, with a work identity as postgrads, unless they're coming on from an undergraduate programme. And, and it's working on that whilst they're on their courses. Identity play, it's trying things out. And actually, um, when we play, we usually play with things that matter. So play is not, is not flippant. Play is, is serious. But play can go in, in different directions. It's not predictable. So when I started doing this stuff, I had, after my own doctorate, identified this concept of an identity workspace. This, is, this has been um, come out of a business school near Paris called INSEAD. And the Petroglieris, um, um, using the work of Winnicott, say that it provides participants on courses, particularly in their work talking about postgraduate management courses, a holding environment for identity work which consists of three elements. Now, the holding environment is the support and challenge. And they're talking about how, for example, executive MBAs are not allowed to develop their identities in their companies. It's too, too risky. They come on a course, they talk to each other, they make sense of things. Peter, you were talking about that in your uh, conversations. Um, and they uh, said that this, this identity workspace helps with this difficulty, this, the learning that hurts, and, and it helps with sense-making. And they suggested that there should be three elements, conceptual frameworks and routines that help with sense-making. So the, the seminars are helping with sense-making. Um, communities that provide a combination of belonging, support and challenge, so it's a student cohort, staff teams, etc. And rites of passage, that facilitate and recognise role transitions and identity development. I found these three ideas really helpful to developing a course that is focusing on identity development. I have got the papers with me, so I'd better go on because of time, haven't I, Martin? Yes, he says. Okay. And we've got them as well. Oh, by the way, there's a Benedict and La uh, Lauren. I thought I'd bring some of the students in with me today. Um, Jennifer Petroglieri, Gian Pietro's partner, wife, sister, brother, I'm not sure which, um, also writes about an identity play space. So the identity workspace was written for um, about um, courses that were for executives originally. And then these two writing about an identity play space. I've got to make the two talk to each other. I'm not quite sure where they fit with each other yet. But I thought this was a, like Goldilocks in the dressing up box. So, you know, tasting things. Is this one right? Or is this chair comfortable? No, I don't like this one. Let's try this one. Um, so it's a safe space for testing things and for discovery. It's got to have, it will support psychological development because Using children's development theory, we know that these types of environments, which are challenging but supportive, move the development of the individual on into a more mature place. So we're not just talking about skills acquisition, we're talking about developing people 
with a more secure base for using those skills and a more mature interpretation of what they are. Um, and the ends of play are reached by going the long way round. You don't necessarily come to the place that you predicted, which is something that these guys are going to talk about in a little while, because they did something that didn't get to the point which was predicted. And as far as I'm concerned, that's fine. Because although people around say, oh, you should have made them, I say, no, they've learned far more from what didn't work than what, from making them make it do so. And so on. We'll come back again. So I co convene the, the faculty's leadership and personal development programme for the postgrad management students. It is part of the business innovation degree in, an, in a less formal way than some other courses, but we decided we'd put all of these, the students together to uh, enable them to do this particular course. It is, for the, for the clear credited courses, it's 30 credits. For these guys, the 30 credits go into their other modules. And the aims of it were this year to enable individuals and group individual and group development and learning to, towards becoming more effective individuals, team workers and leaders. And what I did um, two or three years ago was decide we actually had to focus this programme on something because it had nothing to focus it on. In the first year, it was on Spitalfield City Farm and fundraising for the city farm. This year, it was the British Red Cross European refugee crisis. And that was the focus for all the work that we were doing. So there's some learning objectives there. It's very much learning for, in our context in the business school, leadership rather than learning about leadership. It's the sort of programme that could fit in any master's course, whatever discipline. Um, and I think I'd like, quite like to take it to ILM or CMI or something and get it accredited and sell it, and then I might be wealthy. I'm not. Um, so we are looking at relationships, reciprocation, responsibility, self-awareness, independence. We um, emphasise the importance of the group culture on learning. Got to have authentic activities and habits of self and group reflection. And I'll just point you out, this, this author here, Comeves in the States, now they do much more on student development in the States, particularly to do with leadership. And they have a, um, a leadership development model, which is rolled out around the States, there's handbooks on it and so on, and it's based on the uh, adult development theory of Robert Kagan. So, and it's all about relationships and challenging and developing a cohort to understand their own development. We assess through a number of tasks, which are live tasks. So doing things like action plans, um, plans for development, analysing a group's performance, and so on. So this runs, the, the programme runs over two semesters. And for me, it's the gentle art of stepping back, sometimes too much. So the... Just to go back, the characteristics of an identity workspace, here they are in a focus group for our doctoral candidates, which was a nice um, double hit. It's the conceptual frameworks to help with sense-making, communities that provide a combination of belonging, support and challenge, and rites of passage that facilitate role <coughs> transitions and identity development. So I'm going to talk very briefly, then I'll hand over to Annabelle, 
What time am I finishing, Martin? Got uh, 25 minutes. Thank you, that's that splendid. Um, so I, I decided we needed to start the course with a rite of passage to mark the beginning of this changing identity into postgraduate management students. I'm very fortunate that we are a short walk away from Guildhall. We're in Margate. If, any of you have ne if you've never been to Guildhall, it's a beautiful place and it's five minutes walk away. And I always take a photograph of the, of the uh, groups standing at the doorway of the Guildhall itself. And the idea of this work is to develop a spirit of communitas. And this, this concept comes from anthropology. In other words, that you're all in this together. And if you like, at this point, I'm the enemy because um, I'm, I'm the face of academia and I'm going to be testing someone later. But I want them to get to know each other so that they can support each other throughout the programme. We do it at this point through a process of appreciative reflection using arts-based inquiry to develop this identity workspace. Um, I think I'll not go into this one too much, but it's, it's, it's about liminality. And this threshold, the threshold concept is nice and, nice and popular, but it's about harnessing the energy at the point where the students are coming from all their diverse backgrounds into the place where they're going to be working together. Appreciative reflection is important at this point, rather than critical reflection, because you want them to look round the room and think, ah, okay, I'll enjoy working with you, not someone going, I'm really not good at this, because that can, can shut things down. So Alison Lacourneau's work on um, appreciative reflection is quite in, important at this point. So in the spirit of bricolage, we go on a trip to the Guildhall Art Gallery. As I say, it's very beautiful. And I ask the students, and Annabelle's going to recreate her presentation that she did at the beginning of the year in a moment, um, to create a short image-based presentation, so as little PowerPoint as possible, who I am, why I am here, and what I want to be known for. Um, I've changed it over the years. It used to be where I am going, but now I want, I want it kind of to look back what I want to be known for, to create something active. And it's rather unexpected, unsettling and uncomfortable. I've had one guy say this is the second time I've been dragged along to a place like this, which was interesting. It is a great place. If you go the right, right week, then you get to bump into the Lord Mayor. There's Princess Fiona, sorry, Alderman Fiona. She was Lord, Lord Mayor that year, a couple of years ago. And you get to see all the guys in their, in their gear. Panya, you remember that day, don't you? Because he commented, in Cambodia, we got rid of all this a long time ago. You know, the song. <laughs> um, but it does, you know, you can, we can bump into that. And within the gallery, if you, it's free. Um, it's just a short walk from Moorgate. It's got the most glorious pre-Raphaelites in there. And also, in the basement... There is a, a Roman amphitheatre that's digitally enhanced. Now, if you're trying to get people to talk about their own identities, some of the images in the, in the gallery are gold dust because they just allow students, without too much difficulty, to get this done. There's a, a lovely um, 
aluminium um, sculpture, Plenty in Progress, which also resonates quite strongly with a lot of the students. So, Annabelle, your turn. So, um, as I say, we, we do that at the beginning, and I'll show you some of the feedback from the students afterwards, but it, uh, this, this simple activity created a huge impact of them being, starting to be able to trust each other. Now, during, during the academic year, they have been working on a self-identified project to raise awareness and funds of, for the Red Cross being appealed to do with refugees, they have had quite a number of conceptual frameworks to build their understanding around, you know, not notably teamwork and how it works. And at this point in the course, we're looking back at how the process went, and they, one of the tasks that they've done is to produce a group poster that talks about their development during the year on this particular project. Over to you guys. So here you can see our team's poster, so we were first divided to two, two different teams and in my and Panya's team there was Edward, who was from Croatia and then Chu, she's Japanese, then I'm from Finland and Panya from Cambodia, so we had a very diverse team and the first task was to create a name for our team and uh, state a mission statement so our name is Helping Hand, our team name, and our mission statement is we all have difficult times in life, so let us unite. Hand in hand we can help refugees to give them a new home away from home. And now Fania is going to introduce the project and how it actually <coughs> went and what went wrong. So the ideas that uh, Hazel brought to us is to give us um, an experience how to work together because all of us come from a very uh, different and diverse background and um, it's so sad is that uh, because Annabelle made a really good uh, presentation that each of us did um, others like to explain where we are, who we are and what we want to be known for and that was give us such an enriched information when we're working together so during um, uh, the working process, of course our main goal is to raising funds um, um, for the Red Cross. Um, however, we start which, uh, from the first one first by uh, forming a group. So first we identify the team, our role and responsibility. As you can see in all this picture, we uh, try to identify uh, ourselves who's uh, doing what. Like For example, like Laura would be uh, looking after for the event and charging uh, for the overall project. And then the next stage, we start to be in a storming process. So we start to brainstorm our ideas, what our teams would be doing. Um, we were talking about that we're gonna do a workshop uh, even by inviting key speakers and then it's gonna be uh, showcased at um, our uh, university to uh, talk. At that time we aim for um, uh, motivational uh, speakers to talk uh, how to have us um, being more uh, confident at workplace and uh, to overcome uh, obstacles that we have uh, in life. And that would, would also help for a uh, student at postgraduate level. That was the idea. Later on, the mornings, uh, uh, during the norming stage, we talked about our uh, team strengths and weakness. Who, who good at what, uh, what, what should we do, what, what are we uh, um, in charging. We're talking about uh, 
the whole process of the business workshops and start to uh, working with uh, stakeholders, the key speaker that we want to invite it. So our work goal was really aiming to really showcase a workshop that kick hours at um, our great halls um, at the Hallwell um, Road campus. We're aiming for like a hundred audience uh, plus. Probably it's a little bit more high and unrealistic. <laughs> Thinking about how we are doing with our uh, timelines and the workload of our assignment. Later on, during the performance stage, we realized that the key speakers that kind of promised us um, at the very beginning, uh, and this key speaker we are engaging with during the breakfast meetings that uh, Hazel was also being helped to organize for us. So we, we uh, have those contacts uh, in hand already, but of course they are also busy with their work schedule and we kind of a little bit reluctant uh, to follow up also. Although we do our job, but I think also we have other part of responsibility to work on our assignment. We didn't put 100% time to follow up and do all those things together. And that's where the performing stage starts to be a little bit in turbulent. Um, so the lack of time, our motivation gets a little bit lower down because we, we feel that maybe it's yeah, not working anymore. It was anymore. getting more and more difficult all the yeah. time. We didn't get connection with this, the main speaker and then we had a silent period coming and so it was and our key sponsorships uh, uh, to visit the companies and all those things, it all take time. There are so many elements, there are so many uh, different key um, uh, stakeholders that we need to involve uh, with them. And we kind of underestimate the burden of workload and the difficulties uh, in those process. And there we go, at the closing stage, and our um, project is supposed to be our, yeah, it's supposed to be showcased uh, in uh, late April. And it didn't really uh, happen um, because we 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 had to come back and sit down together and uh, also uh, together with Hazel and 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 we discussed should we go with it or not because realistically speaking we may may not achieve that and we probably shame ourselves by trying to like put a big showcase and end up not presenting anything uh, substantial and we also involved with um, uh, pretty. Uh, uh, the, the Red Cross. So there's key stakeholder that we also need to be responsible and give them substantial information and feedbacks to our project. And that's where we uh, realize that actually it doesn't matter. Uh, of course we hope that uh, we can uh, make a project uh, happen and, and we hope that we could raise um, uh, substantial money that uh, we were planned. We all excited at the very beginning but Throughout the process, there's a lot of uh, key areas that uh, we were underestimate, and and as as um, as a team, we, we, we also realized that there's key learning no uh, that we can take out from those. Yes, of course. So. Colleagues mentioned before, so we were two teams. So my teams were two girls and two boys, and our poster is not that formal as um, as our colleagues poster. Uh, so in what the poster, Megan. Yeah, and what was it? This one. But that's isn't it just a woman? 
So this is a comic strip about what happened. We intended to launch a football tournament in order to, to raise money for the British Red Cross and support the refugees, the refugee crisis across Europe. So the idea of a football tournament was that we wanted to engage people to discuss. So sometimes it's really hard to talk, uh, so involve companies and involve other shareholders and stakeholders in this cause because not everybody is so open to, um, to the topic. So um, actually this is a comic strip about what happened. So um, we think that we had a really good idea because it was not just about no um, and raising money for the British Red Cross, it was also about getting fun. So we were on, on so <laughs> we were on a track, so we had the idea, we were on a track. Um, actually, we were really happy because we were able to involve companies and we targeted really high banks and we got it that they became involved in our, in our assignment. Um, we, um, we look up for help, so we got an extra, an extra, an extra partner. So we were really happy about all the shipment, achievements that we get during these assignments. Unfortunately, um, so this is about representation about <laughs> uh, some centers because uh, unfortunately, well, time was happening and assignments were coming, and we realized that uh, we need help. So. Uh, we realized that uh, it, w it was not able to do the, um, the tournament on time. So um, <coughs> this is just a recreation about uh, what happened. Could you hold down? So um, this is a representation about the football size uh, and all the half parts. So it was the success that we achieved. So in all the in all the stages that my colleagues mentioned before, so in the norming process and transforming stages, we got so we were successful. But unfortunately, in the second on the second half, um, we were not able to lock the venue. So at the end, our partnerships um, decided not to support us anymore. <coughs> So um, I think we learned a lot during the process. At the end, we were really disappointed because uh, we worked really hard for this, and it was not possible. But um, I think it was a really great experience for all of us, and it's a way of learning, a different way. I think we learn in the hard way. <laughs> I think standing up saying it. So. <laughs> okay, I'll just finish off now. I'm sorry the um Okay. I'm really sorry this particular one didn't work. Anyway, um we use, as I said, lots of conceptual frameworks for sense making, we, lots of mind mapping, lots of mapping activities, lots of conversations, lots of tutorials, etc. Um, and yes, lying on the floor because we're not allowed flip charts, not allowed to put them on the walls, so we have to steal them. 
but that's another, another story. Um, but I, I, I did capture quite a lot of uh, information after we'd done the pausing on the threshold uh, um, activity. Uh, the last point there is quite important. It's really good experience and difficulty in a good way. And all of them said that the three questions actually were much harder than they'd anticipated. And then to put something coherent together to explain each other to their peers. Watching others present, I felt closer to my peers. Um, not just because of the information presented, but more when they expressed the same feelings as me. So this rite of passage at the beginning was quite important. Okay, so just to finish, what about the facilitator? Because we're talking about postgraduates, but we don't talk about ourselves. Because the identity of us as academics and working with students that we're wanting to enable their futures is really important. And not just academics, but all the other people that we work with within the university. And this particular slide was put in the end of course Prezi presentation two years ago, and that's me with the watering can. That's what the students made me as, and they were the superheroes falling into the tree. So that was my job, apparently, according to them, was to nurture their particular future. Um, I think it's important if I'm doing this sort of work with my students, they see that I do similar sort of work. So um, last year in February, I was in um, Kathmandu, um, and that photograph on the left is one that I took while I was visiting the partners there. That's what it looked like a few weeks later above, and that's me somewhere on, up there on the end of a rope um, abseiling off the orbit in the Olympic Park in order to raise money for the Nepal appeal. It's important that if you're pushing others to develop that you push yourself as well. Being good enough, which is Donald Winnicott's phrase, in other words, not being too good, um, is not easy. This year I stepped back, I think, a bit too far. I should have stepped in, perhaps, earlier. We had appalling organisational context. I can't blame it, but it was there. Um, but sadly, um, at one, one, one of the original Prezi presentations, not these guys, somebody used this particular statue in his presentation, which is in the Guildhall, to say he knew he was in safe hands because I was like her. Now, <laughs> to say that I found that deeply personally and professionally um, insulting was really <laughs> very difficult. Having stood on the steps of Coventry Cathedral when milk money was taken away and saying, you know, there we go. Anyway, it is not easy. It's much, uh, Parker Palmer says, it's much easier to stand on the side shouting directions than get in the swamp and try and work it out with, with our students. But I wouldn't miss it for the world because it's great fun and you meet some like, good people. Um, I'm now analysing the long diaries that I've got and I use this, this uh, analytical framework which comes from um, a big ESRC project, uh, the Teaching and Learning Research Project done into FE colleges and it was called Improving uh, Learning Cultures in Further Education. So it takes a socio-cultural view of learning, it's Vygotskyan, it's Engerström, it's Brunner and so on for those of you who are educationalists. Um, and part of the analysis is to look at what in an organisational context what is permitted, what is able to be promoted, what is inhibiting and what is ruled out. 
and it's a really good way of looking at a context to see what you can achieve. So I've started to work on this. On the promoted, one that's really interesting because it was picked up earlier, it's students taking the lead and these guys take the lead in what they need to learn and will suggest and do things and run workshops and so on and that's been because I've been left on my own um, nobody took you know really takes much notice of what Hazel does um, as long as everybody's still smiling um, then that's been really um, good but the or organizational context and the bureaucracy of trying to do something that's different in terms of timetabling and so on can be really 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 difficult is that my last slide I can't remember yes it is I hope we haven't run over too far, Martin. Thank you very much.